Hello, everyone. What is going on out there in the world? Welcome to the show today. This is your High Performance Pathways, and I'm your host, Court Whitman. Today's show, folks, if you've been listening for a while, you know, but let me share it with the new folks that are listening today, because I know we're going to have a few because of the incredible guest that's featured. That sponsor is Big Sky Bravery. Now, what do they do? Right? They do incredible work. So I invite you to go check out their website, bigskybravery.org, and learn about Josh McCain and the work that he does in support of our active duty special operations forces. Because what he's built out there is an incredible retreat based experience where folks go through high adrenaline recreational programming. And then after that, they return them back into the fight for America as a means to help just maintain their. Levels of emotional well-being. Again, bigskybravery.org. Check it out. For those new listeners that are checking into the show today for the very first time, let me tell you a little about what we're doing here. High Performance Pathways is an intentional and purpose-built, specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. You see, this content we collect during this one-on-one interview, and then we share it out with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a unique path to and definition for high performance. And hearing about the past that other professionals have journeyed along, man, it's informative and it fires me up. It's inspiring. And so during each episode of High Performance Pathways, it's my intent to do five things for you, the listener number one, connect. I want to connect you to someone else so that you can actively reach out to my guest and build out your professional relationships. Number two, on the show, I'm going to ask questions so that together we can understand this person's unique experience. Number three, I'm going to share. I'm going to share with you my thoughts in this conversation so I can help you grow in your perspective. Number four, I want to teach. I want to teach you as a listener to help increase your competence and whatever it is that you're doing incredible in your life. And number four, not number four, this is number five. Come on, Court, stay with it. Number five, I want to inspire you. I think my guest, every single guest I have on the show has a deep interest in their heart to be inspirational. And so me and my guests want to inspire you so you have some sort of a growth experience based upon the content we talk about today. All right. That's the show. That's what we're trying to do. One additional note to cover as you continue listening. The podcast is raw, y'all. Well, what do you mean, Court? It's raw. It means we record live and we deliver it to you live exactly as it was recorded. No post-production editing, which means hopefully you're entertained. Let's talk about my guest. Super excited about my guest today because I'm introducing to my listeners an incredible woman that's doing amazing things in the world today. And y'all know me, uh, my network of of incredible women is is small relative to my network of men. Some of that's because of my extensive years in the army and a mostly male dominated population with army special forces. But I'm so excited to bring to you today, Jen Griswold. Let me tell you a little about this incredible woman in the event you don't know her. So here you go. Jen. Jen's an entrepreneur. She's an officer and retired military one specifically from the Air Force. And in her own words, let me just share with you kind of what inspires her in her life. And I quote, Jen has a heart for serving her community through teaching entrepreneurship and providing marketing resources to women 
who want to launch their own businesses, end quote. So she's fired up, y'all, about serving other women in her life. A little bit more about Jen. After retiring from 20 years of service in the U.S. Air Force, as I mentioned, Jen leaned on her skills and training to start her own home-based business, which grew into a multi-million dollar sales organization. Today, Jen leads the training, development, and production of a really distributed team of over 9,000 entrepreneurs that produced over 20 million in skincare sales annually. Because of Jen and her incredible influence and impact, she's been featured on the Today Show. She's been in Arlington Magazine. She's been in Next Gen Mill Spouse and a variety of, of other podcasts, sharing her message, sharing her thoughts, sharing her experience on entrepreneurship and performance. And that's why we're lucky to give her to you today. A couple of the things with her military experience and community always close to her heart, because that's what's important, as I understand it, to this incredible woman, Jen published, and I quote here, Mission Entrepreneur. And this book is about applying lessons from military life to modern entrepreneurship. If you've been listening to the show, y'all, this is exactly what we do here on the show. We feature incredible veterans as they walk away from the military, and we want to tell you what they're doing in their life now. Why? Because I believe the veteran community is a phenomenal resource, right? And maybe you just need to hear about Jen and what she's done to get you fired up and inspired as you move through your transition. So let me tell you some more. She founded a website and branding development company dedicated to helping women in business grow their impact through marketing. Her company, same title as her book, write it down, folks, Mission Entrepreneur is launching a social software product this year, this year, 2021 that will make design and technology accessible to anyone with a social media account. Like all of us, Jen also spent some time in school, right? So let me share with you, she's a graduate uh, of the Air Force Academy and she studied uh, human factors engineering. And then she went on and got a master's degree of education in human resource development from Colorado State University. Jen lives in Arlington, VA with Kevin, her husband, who flies C-17s around the world. God bless your husband there, Jen. I have been on C-17s multiple times uh, across this incredible world. Heck, I've jumped out of the freaking things. Um, I've slept on them for 12 hours, riding into Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, so thankful for him and his continued service to guys like me. Uh, I mean, they got two great kids, Colin Alley and an incredible dog named Preston that they rescued. And when she's not working, they're doing incredible things. You can find her on the sidelines watching her kids play sport or her herself is out there running the trails of DC. So Jen, I hope I did you justice, girlfriend, on bringing you to the show. But I just wanna thank you uh, here in this moment for just gifting us with your time to share your perspectives on really your time in uniform and what you've done in private sector America as you walked out of uniform. And just in my opinion, your life journey seeking out relentlessly high performance. Thanks for being here. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> well, good. That's my hope, right? So as we settle in here together, I'd like to just start with giving the listeners some insight to childhood, right? I think there's amazing things that come from what it was like growing up in the homes and the streets and the people we ran around with. So Jen, if you would, can you just give us some insight to what it was like for you growing up? And I don't, I mean, I know you now, let's say maybe 15 minutes. So I have no idea what this answer is. 
And I've been in the world long enough to know that some childhood experiences were great. Mine happens to have been that way. Some were horrendous and everywhere in between. But I still would love to know if you're comfortable sharing, you know, what was life like for you growing up? Specifically, as you consider this question, please include, you know, did you spend any time playing sports yourself? I know you watch your kids today. My guess is sports were important to you or to Kevin. But please comment on if, if it was sports that you're involved in outside the classroom. If not sports, what else did you maybe do and how did you spend your time? Well, I'm really glad you asked this question because I think a lot of times people don't go all the way back when figuring out, you know, their performance potential um, and, and where it starts. And so I would tell you, I think my growing, my childhood was really, really important to my future. And I grew up in a very small town in Laurel, Montana, which is about eight hours from anything that anybody cares about <laughs> because there's no major cities no major sports teams, unless you go to Seattle or Denver or, you know, Minneapolis. So the only thing we had, if you didn't want to just get in trouble, uh, was to play sports. So that's what I did. And from an early age in elementary school, I learned to play golf and softball, which I think were the first options because my parents played golf every weekend and softball was the earliest thing you could start. And then as I got a little bit older in middle school, I took on every sport I could think of. So basketball, volleyball, golf, and continued with softball. And then throughout high school, I continued. That's how I stayed out of trouble. I ended up being the captain of all of those teams. And um, I, I, I say this and cringe because I was a good golfer a long time ago. I was the state eight golf champ in Montana my senior year. I haven't played a whole lot being a mom anymore, but someday I'm going to get back to it. So <laughs> I would say, I would say sports were really fundamental for, you know, a lot of reasons, because I think they taught me at an early age, what it's like to put in the hard work, what it's like to push yourself outside your comfort zone. I went on to play volleyball, which I walked on the air force Academy volleyball team because they didn't have a women's golf team, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, but it, all of it taught me so much about what I want to be like, you know, what I don't want to be like and, you know, how I can push myself. So, yeah, I love sports, love everything about being outside and being active. Hmm. Bet you didn't know this guy walked on too. Something about them walk-ons. Yeah, yeah. As a walk-on football player for uh, VMI um, and, you know, for, for y'all listening, um, there's so much about getting recruited getting mm -hmm. an offer. Heck, I mean, mm -hmm. I got two kids right now. They're 10 and 11. My daughter will be 12 next, next week. And uh, I'd be lying if I wasn't dreaming of them playing sport and at next level for a number of reasons. Right. Um, but that's not the only road to playing. And here's two people that had a different road. And in my account, in my testimony, you know, Bill Stewart was my head coach and Bill Stewart brought me in after my sophomore season and said, hey, Court, we're going to give you a scholarship. We're picking up the rest of the bill here at VMI. And what a great gift that was for me. I still remember going back home and sitting down with my parents Thanksgiving Day and, and casually saying, hey, Pop, here's my scholarship offer. I got you. I got school. Pretty cool. Covered. Pretty cool, right? You know, and pretty yeah. cool. It's just there's, there, you know, and, and, and if you're listening, you know, there's a, there's a lot of grit probably to this woman called Jen because of that. Uh, too bad, no golf at the Air Force Academy. I think that uh, the NCAA has figured that out at this point in time and making sure there's parity and offerings for all the sports, regardless of sex. Um, so cool, thanks for sharing that, really appreciate it. Let's continue here together. Um, when you were younger, 
and maybe even today if you want, I think a lot of people, you know, kind of begin to look through a filter of their life based upon someone else they aspire to be like. I know I certainly do. I know it's changed and evolved over the years, but I'm just curious for the listeners, Jen, who may have been some early mentors, role models, or women that you aspired to be in your life? And I, I, I won't limit that to women because it may be men. Mm-hmm. Please, could you share some thoughts? Yeah, you know, I went round and round thinking about who were those really important role models. And I'll tell you, they were real close to me. It was, it was my mom and my grandmother. And I'll, I'll tell you, both of them are really tough chicas. <laughs> my grandmother um, grew up on a farm, one of 11 in the middle of nowhere, North Dakota, which is even worse than the middle of nowhere, Montana. And, um, you know, had, had siblings die in war, had um, no money, just all those things. But she came through and built up a life um, that was so amazing. And she was a teacher. She was um, a fashionista again, in the middle of North Dakota, which doesn't always make a whole lot of sense, but (laughs) she was a huge role model to me because she was a tomboy. So Mm. as, as a, you know, a teacher and in the, the old days, you know, it wasn't as socially acceptable to be an amazing athlete or to be not wanting to do the things that, you know, the standard wife would do. She didn't like to cook. Um, she liked fashion. She loved to play sports. She was the one that taught me how to play golf. Um, and so she just kind of showed me a different way that it was okay to be uh, a different kind of woman. So she was kind of my first role model. Um, and I spent a lot of time with her when I was really young. And then my mom, um, raised me for the first couple of years of my life as a single mom, which is not easy to do. And, um, and just taught me, you know, that there's nothing you can't do if you just go after it. And uh, she taught me to be a pretty tough cookie from a young age, which I appreciate now. She also taught me that there's absolutely nothing to be scared of. Like we can figure almost anything out. Um, So my first idea for myself was when the movie Space Camp came out and there was a girl in the cockpit, that was what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the first woman, you know, to to pilot a, a shuttle, but I learned later on down the road, I'm not really that into flying. So I, I switched course <laughs> after that or just married a pilot. But um, those were kind of some of my earliest thoughts of, you know, how I was shaped into, I think the woman I've become. Beautiful. And with your permission, um, can we bring the names of these incredible women to life here on the show? Can you share with us mom's name? And yeah, one, yeah. My grandmother's name is Myrtle Dines. She passed away about 10 years ago. And then my mom's name is Luann Ng. And she is still to this day, one of my biggest role models. I aspire to be like her. She's a giver. She's always serving other people and has really, really shaped my thoughts on everything. Mm. Shout out to mamas, uh, grandmamas, shoot, aunts, sisters, um, all these people that if you're one of those people listening right now, I mean, just, I want you to just take a second and understand how much you matter to people. Um, just listening to Jen here. Sometimes we forget about that. You know, I'm a single dad. I understand a little bit what it might've been like to be a single mom. Um, although, you know, I don't assume for a second that our walks were the same, but just know you matter and you're making a difference to the people's lives that you're touching, especially in the homes So keep it up, do great things. Um, fast forward here, Jen. At some point you said, maybe it was after space camp, 
who knows? Like I look back at, but what we're talking about here, at some point you decided to attend the Air Force Academy. And so my curiosity here is why, right? I look back on my life and I said, Court, why'd you go in the army? There's two reasons for me. One, my dad was in, my dad was awesome. He provided a great livelihood for my family. So I said, why not be like dad? I was also the oldest of five kids. So there's no brothers to look up to. And because of the army family, I was not close to any other family. So I didn't have kind of an active uncle or aunt or someone that was kind of, you know, showing me what it was like to be um, an adult, I guess. Um, and then it was the movies, Hollywood. I watched mm. Rambo all the time and Schwarzenegger running around. I was like, man, that's, that's what I want to do. But <laughs> this show is not about me. It's about you, right? So share with us. Why'd you decide to go to the Air Force Academy? Well, it actually wasn't a Hollywood moment for me. In fact, I didn't even think the military was a possibility or something I would even consider. But in middle school, we had a great program where they would bring cadets from the Air Force Academy to come speak to us. And my best friend was so interested in going to the Air Force Academy. And I said, well, I'll go listen with you. And so we went and listened to, you know, these cadets, which were pretty cool. And I started opening my mind to the fact that, hey, this was probably the best education I could get. It was 100% free. You know, I didn't really sort of grasp the idea that you serve for a number of years. It's not completely free, but <laughs> it seemed like a good option because I knew, you know, I was the oldest of three. So similar to you, I think there's a lot of oldest that go into the military. And I knew my parents didn't have the money to send me or my siblings um, to an out-of-state college. And my only goal in high school and I graduated valedictorian was to get the heck out of Montana and find, you know, some new adventure. So um, I did get a scholarship to a ROTC scholarship to Colorado State, but it uh -huh. wasn't a full ride. So I said, okay, Yusafa, here I come. And my dad, um, you know, who was uh, integral in my life after about the age of three, he uh, flies Cessnas, has my entire life. And so we would take our vacations, our family vacations in his little Cessna. Wow. And so I thought, you know, maybe I would want to fly. And I thought that would then, you know, be the beginning to this space camp, you know, dream. So I thought, okay, let's, let's see what it looks like. And, um, and the rest is history. I never looked back after that. I love it. So just so I can understand contextually, when you say space camp, like in my mind, I'm thinking astronaut, like this woman mm -hmm. is shooting. Right? Yes. All right. That's so, it. I love it, man. What a great kind of metaphor here that, that we have. We have Jen shooting for the stars and her aspirations to be an astronaut at a young age, and then look at what you've done with your life. Um, please, if you don't mind, will you bring your friend to life to the show here? Maybe share a name with us. The friend you went to see those cadets speak. Yes, Kelly Reynolds. She's one of my best friends in life. She's a dentist in a small town in Montana and one a heck of an adventure seeker. And we giggle about it now because, you know, it was all her idea. I just ended up swooping in and deciding to go for it. Um, but she's an amazing, amazing individual. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly. Hey, <laughs> Ke Kelly, I hope you listen to the show, girl. And I know you know how much uh, you mean to Jen, but I'm thankful for you um, and the impact you've had in her life. And, and, and shout out to friends, folks, right? If you're someone's friend, right, you never know what conversation you might bring them to that'll change your life. Did Kelly serve, Jen? She did not. She mm. um, she serves the mouths of individuals in Red Lodge, Montana. <laughs> yeah, uh, she does. But no, she's the best. She's definitely supported me every step of the way. And it's funny, uh, you talk about getting the heck out of Montana. Um, there's so many people that I know now that are trying to get the heck to 
Montana. Yeah, um, me, me included. Now it's come full circle. <laughs> that's right. Life, man. Life's crazy. And actually, my my podcast sponsor is out of Montana. I don't know if you're aware of Big Sky. Bourbon. I was wondering that with Big, yeah, with the term Big Sky. I'll have to investigate. Yeah, yeah they're in Bozeman. Check them out. Um, cool. Love it. Um, would you maybe consider a couple memories of your time in uniform? You know, we'll take one if you're able to gift it. If you got three. We'd love it, but uh, just share with us, you know, because I think the, there's a lot of reach this show gets for, for young women too. Uh, so maybe we're not listening to cadet speak from the Air Force Academy, but we're looking listening to a retired 20 year officer speak. Um, any memories from your time in Utah? Yeah, I have, I have many. And these are a couple that kind of stood out as I thought back over you know, my time in the military. So I served my uh, six year as I ended up at about six years after I graduated the Air Force Academy. And then I switched into the reserves for the remainder of my 20. And I was an aircraft maintenance officer. So, um, you know, I was out there on the flight line, managing mechanics that fix all sorts of aircraft. And my very first job as a 22 year old, you know, wide eyed girl from Montana um, was at Eglin Air Force Base of Florida which is in the South. So that was a new experience for me. I was really excited about the beaches and playing volleyball and you know being in the sun. And I was assigned to a unit that was test aircraft. So a whole bunch of different types of aircraft and all modified aircraft. So they weren't just your typical, you know, out of the box kind of, you know, setup. So um, what happened was I actually was delayed to go to my school to my maintenance school to learn about everything so I had no idea what I was doing when I showed up there I couldn't understand what people were saying because they had such deep southern accents I remember stopping a couple guys that worked for me and saying could you just repeat that I have no <laughs> idea what you just said oh man so this was, is bad I was a fish out of water for sure um and I eventually did get to tech school um about six months in but I don't think I fully grasped the magnitude of what I was doing over that first six months. When I got home from tech school, they put me out on the flight line, which is kind of like the big time for an aircraft maintenance officer. So when the jets are in my responsibility, they're flying every single day. And my very first week on the job, I had two incidents. The first, an F-15 lost its brakes and like careened off of the, uh, you know, the runway into a bunch of mud, which is a huge deal because there has to be an investigation. They have to, you know, use balloons to lift the F-15 out of the mud. Mm. Um, so that was incident one, which was kind of like shock and awe, like, holy crap, what am I doing here? So that was the first part of the week. And then the second part of the week, we had an F-15 actually break up in flight over the water killed the pilot, oh my debris everywhere. It was, it was a huge investigation. It was extremely scary. And I'll never forget this moment where I was standing in the hallway and the crew chief that serviced that jet was absolutely shaking and sobbing when he was going in for questioning during the investigation. And he was thinking to himself, did I cause that? Was it me? Did I forget something or did I do something wrong? And it was in that moment that the magnitude of my job and how lives were at stake with everything I did really hit me. And it really changed the trajectory of like how I thought about my job. It wasn't just a young Lieutenant going to the beach anymore. It was okay. I got people to take care of, and this is serious business. So that was probably my first, you know, memory that really etched in my brain, like how I wanted to be as an officer. 
And then during that same assignment, so this is in 2001, I'll never forget the experience of being um, where I was and kind of what I was doing when September 11th happened. And same thing, I was in Florida. I was actually on the intramural golf team at the time. I was the new lieutenant they figured out that could play golf. So they pulled me onto this team and we were on the golf course. <clears throat> and back then, you know, everybody had pagers. And I was still kind of, again, fresh, right out of school, not really knowing what was going on. And all my chiefs and all the other officers were getting pages that said, you know, the towers had been hit. And I'll never forget like the feeling I had of just being off base when that happened and feeling like I just needed to be on base. Mm. And, um, you know, of course, everything changed after that. We used to be able to drive on and off bases with no um, stopping at the gate and then everything changed security changed everything um, but the patriotism in that section of the country was unreal cars were painted red white and blue lee greenwood everywhere people were yeah. thanking us right and left for our service and that was something i had never experienced before so i will never forget um that whole day just the way that everything transpired in the months to come afterwards and then my third memory um, is a good one. One of my best stories was um, I had the unique experience of being deployed with a group that was uh, delivering scientific equipment to Antarctica. And wow. <clears throat> we were stationed in Christchurch, New Zealand with C-17s and we lived there for a month. And then every day our jet would fly to Antarctica um, to deliver this equipment and back. Um, very exciting. The plane would land on a floating sheet of ice that they had to measure, you know, every single day to make sure it wasn't melting. Um, but the, I got to ride on the jet twice to Antarctica. There's a go, no go point, which is kind of scary. You get to a place where if you pass that point, you are going to Antarctica because there's not enough gas to get home. So it's kind of one of those cool stories, but flying over Antarctica, is probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my entire life because it looked like a giant lemon meringue pie. Wow. Um, all ice, of course, but it just looks so angelic from the sky. It's probably something you just can't experience unless you've seen it. And then when we got to McMurdo Station in Antarctica, it was so cool because nobody owns that land. Antarctica is kind of like a, a place that nobody really can claim. So you see Chinese and Russian and US scientists working side by side towards scientific missions. And it's sort of this utopia of how life should be, you know? And so it was just really neat to see how things work down there. So those are probably my, my three big memories that stand out. Well, what a wonderful um, picture you framed for me uh, as you shared those. And one of the things that's, that's resonated deep within me as you talked about this Actually, two things I'll share. Um, and the first is, you know, there, there absolutely was a managerial or leadership challenge for you at day one in uniform. Not that there isn't for any lieutenant. And for my non-listening on my non-military audience, when we say that Jen was an officer, you know, just at a high level, it means immediately when she is assigned her unit after college, there's people that report to her, right? And at 21, we'll call it 22, heck, maybe even 20, there's a very small list of people working in this great big world that have that burden of responsibility. And here we go, Jen's showing up and she doesn't have, I think one of the prerequisites of building trust is someone new, which is competence. 
deep subject matter expertise. And that's an, not an indictment, Jen, because you have probably competence in a number of other areas, but you kind of want to have that. And I was hearing <laughs> from you that there was a desire to have that and a recognition that it wasn't there and it was a challenge. So folks, we've got someone here at the earliest portions of life and she already talked about her leadership and management and sport, but as it applies to her first job, it's present. And the second thing that really resonated for me as I listened to your stories was just the magnitude of the job you were called to do when you talked about the experience and impact of 9-11 and where you were. And then again, when you talked about the, the destruction and, or the mishaps uh, of those planes and the fact that you played a role in that life cycle of the plane being in the air, plane being on the ground. It made me think seriously about the people that pack parachutes in my career. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm the one jumping out of the aircraft with the parachute, but I don't, you know, well, I want to say I don't pack it. I got to a point when I was military freefall qualified and I packed my own chute, but that was a deep competency. But before that, just with the 82nd Airborne Division, your, your parachute's delivered to you. Now you do an inspection, but you're not looking at the inner workings of that thing, right? Someone else put yep. it together and you hope the damn thing opens when you jump yep. out. So that was actually my very first job. So even before I hit the flight line, they put me in um, the fabrication flight, which included the guys that would pack the parachutes and that would sew the parachutes. And so, uh, you know, for any guys out there that thinks that that sewing is not manly, those guys were vital to your parachutes because they had to know how to do it all right and make sure that that thing was folded just so, so that you would make sure it deployed correctly. So yeah, that's a really important job. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so thanks for sharing it. Um, let's talk about, uh, life after uniform. Um, and specifically, you know, one of the ways in which I serve others in my own work is very much through, um, service as a leadership coach, uh, an executive coach, depending on how it's branded and based upon your experience, you might tell me, Hey court, you're a train wreck. Uh, let me help you with branding (laughs) or Hey court, you know, it might make a little bit of sense, but bottom line is a lot of the men and women I serve are in moments of their time when they're going through a transition, a transition experience. And I think that we could argue that there's signature transition experiences in life that most people experience. And those might look like the day you leave home, whether to work as a kid or to college like Jen and I, right? The day you get married, big deals. The day you leave uniform happens to be a pretty significant transition experience for our military personnel. And if you're not in the military, just think about the time that you shift out of a job that you've been in for a number of years. And so I would love, Jen, if you could share a little bit like it, what it was like for you um, as you transitioned, you know, I would say maybe from the active component at that six year mark into the reserves. And was there any struggle there at all that you had to work through maybe in your own mind or not, maybe identity or not? I don't know, uh, definitely don't wanna lead you here. And then I'm also curious, like when that time in the reserves wrapped up, um, was there a significant challenge to your transition in that moment? And if so, what were they? And how did you drive through those? Yeah, I would say the transition at the six year mark was blurred (laughs) because I was also pregnant and having my first child. And so to me, it was all one thing, but yes, it was was clearly a, a new shift in my life. Um, you know, we're dual military. So I knew that if I got out, I was going to be the trailing spouse. And I chose that, but I had no idea 
that when I went from hard charging officer in charge of 250 troops every single day to two tiny babies that they could rock my world like they did. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really tough. I, I mean, if I'm being truthful, it was really tough. I would see happy moms around me or seemingly happy. I now know that a lot of that's not always real, but um, where it seemed like motherhood was easy and where they were really enjoying it. And it was really hard for me. And I think now I look back and there could have been a little postpartum depression um, in gotcha. that shift for me too. But people of course didn't talk about it like that. I just remember sitting there um, breastfeeding my son and thinking to myself, what is wrong with me? Like, this is not easy. This is not fun. And I think it's supposed to be fun. So I learned a lot through that. Um, and that was really where I knew with the second child, I had to do something because I'll, I'll never forget this moment where it was me and my two kids. My son was two. My daughter was brand newborn. My husband was working as an exec for um, the base commander and he was never home. Either he sure. was flying on missions or he was working really late hours, you know, at home. And I just remember thinking to myself, I am so unhappy and so unfulfilled because I know I have more to give. And it's not that I don't love these two bambinos. It's just that I have more to me than just this. Uh -huh. And so I had this epiphany where I was like, well, you have skills, get back to work. And so I made the decision, like literally I can see the picture of the two kids in diapers and me just miserable and thinking, okay, let's do this. So I started looking for work and um, I had no idea the plight of a military spouse. Like I really had no concept. And so I started looking around and seeing what do other people do? Well, 90% of military spouses are under or unemployed. So they're either working for pay that's beneath their education level or what they're qualified for, or they're just not working altogether. And yet they have these educations. I mean, they're more educated than their civilian counterparts. And so when I started looking around, all I saw was really talented women doing either something that they were you know, at nothing at all, or something that was way beneath what they're qualified to do. So I thought this is not okay. Like, how do we fix this? Um, I have a master's, I have all this experience, like, I'm not going to go work for minimum wage or, you know, some hourly job. So that's when I made the decision that, you know, my parents, my parents were entrepreneurs, their office was literally next to my bedroom growing up in our basement. I thought I got skills, let's turn this into something I can take with me as we move every couple years. So I started looking for a mentor, like what other military spouses have done this before me? Who can I go to, to ask for, for advice? I don't have a whole lot of money saved up to invest in my first business, but what should I do with the little bit I have? And as I started looking around and looking for, you know, another woman to like advise me, there was nobody. I mean, I'm talking nobody. I went to the small business association. I went to, you know, all the spouses events and there was just nobody. So that's when I also decided, okay this is going to be hard and you're going to have to be the pioneer. So go figure it out, find what you can. And then, you know, when you get to that point where you find success, then turn around and you're going to pull a bunch of people along with you behind you. And so that was kind of my mental process of overcoming was just realizing I was miserable, <laughs> figuring out that oh, so were a lot of other people. And then we got to figure out a solution and let's go, um, you know, move through it and find some, some ways to help people. So I ended up starting my first business. It was a home staging and decorating business, which back then was um, one of the kind of cool things on HGTV mm -hmm. in 2008. 
And that was born the same, pretty much the same quarter that my daughter was. So every time I was sitting there breastfeeding her differently than when I did with my son, I was sitting in the same spot, staring at the ceiling, thinking about what I was going to do to further my business. And I'm telling you, it was like, I was a new woman. It was like, I breathed life back into myself. I became myself again. And entrepreneurship was my jam from then until now. Wow. What a great story. Um, and here's what I'm hearing from you, Jen. Um, in your own words, your significant transition moment was not how I characterized it. It was more of, I'm a mother and this was a transition, right? Um, and in that moment, um, there was still an emptiness, not holistically, and you were very clear on that, like you enjoyed the two children and, and, and being their mother and bringing the kids into your family for you and Kevin. Um, but you felt like there was just an underfulfillment in, in the way in which you were contributing, serving maybe other mm -hmm. people. And in, in a way to solve that problem, you sought out a mentor, a female fit for you, none to be found. Therefore, that was the catalyst for Go It Alone, which you did in founding your first business on home decor and design or decoration. Sorry, I mm -hmm. probably screwed that up. Home staging. It's okay. Home staging. <laughs> um, and just this path of entrepreneur and you found incredible fulfillment, purpose, and direction there in addition to the other stuff you're probably doing. Um, wonderful, right? If you're listening yeah. right now, hey, let yourself be led. Like Jen, let herself be led. Hey, if you're not, if you're underfulfilled, figure that shit out. Yes. Right? Don't allow yourself to be stuck. And if you can't figure it out, maybe give Jen a call. Right? Heck, give me a call. It's what I do. Right? In service to you. Right? My, you know, it's kind of my vision. Right? How can I inspire the higher performance of every single person that I touch in my life? And I'm, I'm hearing a little bit of that in this conversation with Jen. But uh, try, try to be true to yourself in those moments of, I guess, frustration. Or I guess yes. just, I don't want to say depression, but just maybe angst. Like, hey, look, there's more I got to give to this great world. Well, figure it out and allow it to and lead you. And know, you know what I would say right now is that a lot of people are going through that during this pandemic. I mean, there's a lot of um, mental health, you know, and you may not be, it may not be fully diagnosed. Like I said, I don't think I was debilitated, depressed by any stretch, but I think I was just, yeah, I think I was super restless about what was I going to do with myself. And sure. I just read the other day in the Washington Post that the number of business applications in this last year has gone up like 82%. It's insane. And a big percentage of that is women. And I think it's because they're making that determination. I don't want to sit here and be the victim of whatever job I just lost or whatever is happening in the economy. I want to take control and owning your own business is a way to do that. So I'm very encouraged that um, this movement is getting bigger. Absolutely. Couldn't, uh, couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, just trying to, to figure it out, giving yourself a shot, uh, understand how, how to kind of manage risk as you move through it. Um, and everyone's situation is a little bit different. Um, but, uh, you know, coming from me and Jen, we just want to be encouraging in this moment to whatever, whatever it is that uh, you're thinking about doing. Um, cool. Let's talk more about you. Um, you know, before I got a chance to connect with you here, 
uh, I was doing a little bit of research on your life. Uh, I checked out your website, your LinkedIn, and I came across this great YouTube video that you were featured in. Um, and it talked about the history of, of, of again, I might not characterize, characterize this correctly, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what I want to call team give. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Is that mm -hmm. right? Okay. Yeah. And is that tied to one of the business efforts that you have? Yeah. So I okay. actually, that home staging and design business was when we were stationed in California. And I actually sold that after four years when we PCS'd and moved to Washington, D.C. And in that transition, a good friend of mine who was a financial advisor told me about this new company, Rodan and Fields, a skincare mm -hmm. company that was brand new. So I was thinking I would come to DC and advocate for military spouse entrepreneurship, but I liked the idea, not of skincare, to be honest, skincare was scary to me. I had to learn that just like aircraft maintenance, but I liked the idea of having a business that I could coach lots of people um, in a simple, simple type of business so that I could get more women involved. Um, because when there's too many scary places, you know, scary things to figure out in a business, I tend to believe that women shy away but this business is really simple. So um, that's why I was drawn to it. And then we created our brand within that team give and the give part stands for genuine inspired vibrant entrepreneurs. So it's an acronym. And, and yeah, now we have um, a team of about 9,000 yeah. mostly women and a few good men um, <laughs> on our team. Yeah. I love it. Um, so thanks. Uh, just kind of giving us a little bit of a, of, of a scratch the surface on, on team give. Uh, and if you're listening right now, uh, I absolutely encourage you if anything in this conversation is getting you excited. And I just mean like in general, like, Hey, you know what? I think I do want to try to do my own thing. Go listen to that YouTube video. It's probably about eight, nine minutes long. And there's incredible women that Jen's partnered with there. Women like Jamie Peterson, Maisha Dibbler, Kelly Schwent, Megan Thomas and Shannon Burke specifically who I heard from on that show. And there's a list that goes on and on. No offense, ladies, if I didn't hit your name there, I know I missed a couple, but those are some that jumped out to me. And I want to shout out to these ladies they are probably part of your tribe of 9,000 there, girlfriend. And I'm mm -hmm. guessing you know these ladies well. Um, but the other thing I wanted to kind of really understand a little bit more is the four words that I'm not sure are associated uniquely with Team Gives branding, but maybe your branding. And those words I want to share right now are live give, serve, grow. And so Jen, why these words? What, what do they mean to you? And why did you decide to kind of embrace them as a means to project yourself into the world? So, you know, there were a lot of things when I transitioned out of the military that I didn't realize I missed. And having sort of a a set of core values or a mantra that I would look to every day. Um, I think those things are really grounding. And when I left the military, um, not that I left those core values, it's just that I had to transition into kind of my own way of thinking about things. So these four words for me personally are those that I live by and I strive for in life and in business. Mm. So they kind of represent the different portions of my life. So the live section is, um, you know, creating a life worth living, which includes leaving room to enjoy life, right? And seek adventure with my family. We love to 
travel and and see new places and learn new things. So you got to live and then you got to give. We are big believers um, that, you know, you got to find ways to contribute to your community with whatever talents you've been given. It doesn't always have to be money, but everybody's got two hands that you can give back to your community with. And then serve, which comes straight from my, you know, upbringing as a military girl is to be a servant leader and to use that servant leader mindset um, to find a way to cater to the people who need it most, not the, the you know, people that um, have already made it in life, but the ones at the, the lowest levels that I can serve. And then um, grow is just a reminder. Uh, and this is kind of um, the fun part about being an entrepreneur is to just work hard, stay hungry and never think you made it. <laughs> you got to always keep improving. <laughs> and I, I'm, a, I'm a business book nerd. Um, I love podcasts because I'm always looking for ways to add new, you know, new tricks to my game, new ways mm. to get better, new ways to improve. Um, and I think that I've found that with other colleagues, like those that are best are the ones that just never stop growing. They never stop trying to improve in any aspect of their life. So I just keep those there. They are, um, you know, in several chapters of my book and just, they're always on my mind. They're on my stationery. I keep those four words really close to me all the time. Beautiful. And if I may just comment on this for a second for the listeners, and I want to be super clear, like this is the serendipity that occurs sometimes on this show. Um, I had no idea how you were going to respond to this question and what I heard from you. And these are actually words that you used is that these are my core values court. And what I will tell you that in my work, this is a deliberate discovery exercise that I do with everyone I serve because this is foundational to a fulfilled life, folks, right? And Jen's testament here kind of gives us that insight. So if you don't, don't you don't got to just hear it from me, hear it from <laughs> Jen, right? And so what I, what I would like to issue now to the listener is a challenge statement, and that is, what are the three to five core values in your life? And let me define core value for a second right? Because the words we use matter. And that's another invitation that I share with you in this moment is make sure the words that you're using, you can share with what you mean in others when you use them. And so core values to me are defined by the three to five characteristics of myself, or I would argue my business, but in this case, myself, the three to five characteristics of myself that significantly impact my fulfillment and my decision-making in life. All right. And for Jen, that is, I'm going to honor, live, give, serve, and grow. I got my own. They're honesty, humility, bravery, perseverance, and spirituality. Right. And you should have yours too. And you should define them. And so beautifully and unprovoked, Jen did that for us in this moment. You can't just have core values that aren't defined because then there's confusion. All right. So name them, define them. Why? In my opinion is because these the core values are your behavioral norms. And people talk about the word value alignment all the time. And this is the reason why. My guess is that when Jen honors live, give, serve, and grow, she's doing something that's incredibly value aligned for her and she's crushing it. And that's my dream for you as a listener to have your core values, name them, define them, and then allow them to be the filter you use to assess opportunity or even decision-making with the kids or your spouse or your friend. 
and, and note here, this, in my opinion, this isn't the what you do, this isn't your vocation, but this is how you do it. And you could probably, Jen, be doing a number of things in your life. You chose to be an entrepreneur and an author and a speaker. But as long as you're honoring those four things, live, give, serve, and grow, you're probably a pretty happy chick. So, 100%, yes. Thank you so much. Court is jumping off the soapbox, but he's got excited <laughs> about that. I mean, it's just, thank you for the gift of allowing me to jump into that conversation, given your sharing. Um, all right, let's, let's continue here. And I want to talk specifically in this moment about something that's really important to me and, and the work that I do, um, and that's leadership. And I think you are an incredible person to feature in this conversation. And it matters not what I think about leadership in this moment, because people don't listen to the show because of me. They listen to the show because of people like you that come on here. And because of your military background and the, uh, the incredible ambition and the sports background, all the things that I think are incredible. I mean, you probably know this, but 95% of female CEOs in corporate America, guess what? They were college athletes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I don't know the veteran demographic of how that impacts things, but I know athlete y'all. So we'll talk about athlete for a second. Continue to push your girls and your boys to sport because that's a real data point. Cause I worked in the sport tech world when I retired from the military and, and sports anywhere from the New Zealand all blacks to the Dallas Cowboys to the Clemson Tigers were our clients. Right. And so what I'm getting at is Jen is highly qualified in my opinion to talk about leadership. So I'm curious. Jen, in your own words, and based on your experience, could you share with us a definition for that word? And then would you go on to comment about what kind of leader are you committed to being for women and the clients you serve? Yes. So I love that you asked this question because I was obsessed with the topic of leadership from the moment I entered the Air Force Academy, which they called a leadership lab through my master's program at Colorado State um, because it was all about human resource development. So I clung to, um, in doing lots of research about leadership to the concept of servant leadership, which I know we say flippantly, but um, it really is important to dissect it a little bit. So the concept was introduced by a guy named Robert Greenleaf in 1970. And it's kind of the gist of it is basically the idea that rather focusing on the power, which is usually what we think of as the leader at the top, right? Acquiring power and getting to the top, it's exactly the opposite. So the servant leader is the one who shares power with the organization and actually gets to the top by meeting the needs of the other people first. So it may seem you know, just like a little twist, but to me, it's a really important twist and the leader essentially achieves those goals that they want to by developing and honing the performance of their team first. So it's like that whole service before self. And this concept, concept of service has real, real power because it, it to me is the thing that moves people beyond their normal limitations. So that's why I've always really clung to this type of leadership. And actually this is how I formed um, along with one of my best friends, and you mentioned her earlier, Jamie Peterson from my small town in Laurel, Montana. That's how we designed the basis of our, our skincare team, the sales organization team give, um, to have 9,000 women who work these businesses very part-time around kids and other jobs and everything. Um, 
we had to figure out how to pull them in to this and make this important and to set them up with the right mindset. So the way that we designed our team is not that they are passionate about selling skincare. They all, there's an array of different passions in this 9,000 group of women, but they all have a passion about giving back somewhere. So what we did is took the concept um, of servant leadership and said, hey, I bet that you have had an idea that you've wanted to give to for years, but you have had kids and you have busy schedules and you just haven't been able to do it. So we want to set you up with a skincare business because everybody needs skincare. That's something they're coming to the store for regularly, but they can get it through you and you can use that fun funding to go serve your passion. And it's completely different lens than most people in our business go through, but we find a certain type of woman and a few good men and um, they get into massive action because they care so much about the passion that they're building their business around. And so a few years ago, a good example of this is that we challenged our skincare team. We said, um, I have this group of friends from the Air Force Academy who started a phenomenal camp in Colorado. It's called Knights of Heroes. It's a bunch of guys um, who wanted to mentor the children of some of their fallen brothers who um, died in, in F-16 crashes. And they set up this camp and they wanted to extend the invitation to some girls. And so they were building cabins and they needed people to sponsor these cabins. And we just threw out the challenge to our team of part-timers and said, can we buy a cabin can you go sell a little bit more so that we can provide this cabin for these girls? And within no time flat, this team energized and we raised over $50,000 selling just another you know, skincare item and built this cabin for these girls in Colorado. And we have our name on it. It's called the Team Give Cabin. The girls love it. And nobody could have predicted we would have ever done those kind of numbers. It was an unheard of, but it was because they all had a passion to give back. So I think servant leadership and giving and serving um, is unmatched in what you can do with it. It's just a magic that I don't think you can find with any other type of leadership, at least in my experience. So I'm all about servant leadership. I love it. Um, leadership coming at you, a perspective from Jen is in her words, servant or service uh, leadership. and. You know, some of the habits of, of a servant leader include shared power uh, and intentionality to meet the needs of others. And it's only through the team that the leader is able to, um, I guess, ascend or to do things. Uh, so there's a deep commitment um, to, you know, the folks underneath his or her, I guess, uh, command or responsibility uh, mm -hmm. to do well. Uh, and I also heard that, uh, it's passion-based, right? For, for you to be that incredible leader you want to be, there has to be some awareness of, of, of the answer to the question, well, what are you passionate about? And if you can find alignment and being passionate about something, there may be, and again, this is my assumption, Jen, I'm, I'm, I'm based on listening to you, there may be an opportunity for you to really step firmly into that servant leadership perspective. So. 100%. Yes, I think when you help people find their passion, put a name to it, point them toward it, you can get three times more out of them than you ever would on any other day because they've got that fire inside and it's really fun to watch. Absolutely, so let's talk more about your passion. Um, and, and I think as I understand it um, and from the stuff that I've seen and, and read from you, you're, you're incredibly dedicated and passionate about 
serving and supporting women, women entrepreneurs. You talked about it five minutes ago. Um, and I would even say so much so that, that I'm reading this uh, on some of your collateral. Um, and I'm quoting here, uh, you know, Jen wants to lead and teach women how to use their unique skills and experiences to hire themselves and create their perfect job as an entrepreneur. Uh, you have this deep commitment to help smart, savvy women create flexible businesses. And you talk about this that work around the other portions of the life, like the mom, the kid, or the mm -hmm. kids. And so could you share with us a little bit, you and this tribe of 9,000, like what does that ideal client look like? Like you said, it's skincare. And we talk, and in this moment, we're talking Team Give specifically. I know you were doing other things with your work too, but with, with the Team Give service, what might be that ideal client for you? Yeah, I guess there's kind of two. So in the Team Give uh, business, it's anybody who is not willing to go start their own business, but wants sort of a baby business experience where a lot of it is done for you with Rodana Fields, you know, and then I coach people, uh, you know, to success in that system. In my mission entrepreneur world, my ideal client is basically me 12 years ago when I was that girl on the floor I told you about with the two kids in diapers. Yep. Um, any woman who may or may not be able to find the flexibility she needs, whether that's for family reasons or for mobility in the military reasons, um, she can't find that in traditional work. She might have unique talents or she could have a business idea that she's pondered for years because I run upon a lot of women like that. Or she might even have a fledgling business, but she's questioning whether or not she can make it successful. And she's kind of unsure where to turn for and how to make it to come to life with online branding or website presence and a marketing strategy to grow. And what I find with a lot of these women is they just need a little support. Um, and I absolutely love helping this woman see how talented she is and then locking arms with her and my team. We have a team of five on Mission Entrepreneur that come alongside her to give her next steps to develop and and help her flourish and um, connect her to a network of other great women because i've found and this is the difference between you and i court guys once they have a mission they're off like they want to go they want to go get the job done mm -hmm. women operate differently we are community minded it's just the way that god made us and so even though you might have that same amazing business idea a woman is going to thrive when she has another set of women on either side of her supporting, encouraging, and pushing. Mm -hmm. And this is a distinct difference in the way that I would talk to a group of guys and I talk to a group of girls. And even I've talked in corporate environments about um, how I think that managers need to, to do this differently because women need other women. And so the best thing you can do for them is to surround them. So that's what we try to do at Mission Entrepreneur is just come alongside, give them the confidence to get the job done because their ideas are fantastic. I love it. Um, can you can you comment on like a typical life cycle? Like you work with a woman for three months, three years. Um, would you mind sharing yeah. some thoughts around how long a relationship sometimes lasts with you and your team of five? Yeah, we, we really specialize in the beginning because to me, the beginning of the business is so important, right? Because that's where a business is going to, it's going to grow or it's going to die. And, um, you know, there's a lot of 
other things. You can get funding. There's all sorts of places that you can learn more about how to scale your business once you've gotten off to a good start. But I like to specialize in that from ideation to, you know, to getting yourself up and running online and getting your first, you know, year of profitability. That's where I kind of like to um, specialize because I think that's where you really need this virtual team of somebody to help you with copywriting, somebody to help you with web presence, somebody to help you with social media, somebody to help you with design, all that kind of stuff we can just come alongside and provide without you having to scrape and search and wonder and decide, is this a good amount of money to be paying for stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've already kind of vetted that for uh, the, you know, the client that we would bring in. So Typically, we will work with somebody for probably up to a year, two years, depending on how much they progress, um, and then we'll send them off to other resources. But that's my favorite place is just the dream, breathing life into somebody's business. It, it really fuels me. I mean, and I, I can understand why. I remember when I launched my business, I, I launched my first one in 2005, and it was a $9,000 loss in the first year, and I was full-time active duty, and we all know what was going on in the world in 05. I was a special forces guy, spending more time away than home, right? Mm-hmm. But I was still excited. Like, I was mm-hmm. so excited. Like I thought I had the best idea in the world, right? But really not a great idea of how to bring it to people. And then fast forward to, you know, 2018, when I launched the company I own today, I don't know there's a, I mean, it rivals some of the best feelings in the world when you're mm-hmm. like, this is, this is my, this is my thing, right? And this is, this is how my life has been developed to bring impact to the world. So I can imagine, Jen, the reason why you love the work that you do is probably because the women that you're working with, it's all fun, exciting, great conversation. Now, it might be some frustration too, right? But my guess is that brings so much joy to your life. I I feature so many people that have done incredible work with their life. And I typically ask them, and I'm going to ask you here in a few moments, right? What do you attribute your ability to do things at a high level to? And, you know, it's just, I just really get fired up by helping others. So mm-hmm. what I'm hearing from you in this question that I asked, right, was about life cycle of a client. You said about one to two years. And I did hear three things by way of deliverable and correct me if I'm wrong. But if, you, if you're listening right now and you're excited and you want to work with Jen, I think you might expect in you're working with her that she's going to help you through the ideation process. Right. And that I don't know what that looks like in my mind. I'm hearing what's your mission statement, what's your vision, what's your key tasks, what's your you know, return on investment. Those sorts of answers probably get worked through in an ideation. You know, what's the product market fit, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the second thing is you help them build an online presence. Once all that stuff, you know, is slapped the table, this is a good idea. Then how do you bring it to life and get it out in front of people? And then finally, uh, you'd like to get to that point where there's a year uh, of profit. So. Is that close to some of the deliverables yeah. someone can expect? Yeah. And I think, I think the, um, the key here is that it doesn't have to be perfect. Like just come and we can talk through it. A lot of our, we have a marketing clarity session where we just sit with you and just hash through what's the message, you know, what's the, what, what is it that you're going to do to help people solve problems with your business? And uh, we can work through what's that going to look like. Cause I think a lot of times women shy away cause they're not sure. They're not sure. Is this the right thing? Is this yeah. the right product? It doesn't have to be perfect. Just come and we'll talk through it. But they have to have something in mind, right? It's not like, hey, Jen, let me just come to you and, uh, hey, I want to do my own thing, but I don't know what that is. Is that a little bit too early? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit too much. But if you know you've got a unique set of skills, which everybody does, and yep. you know, or you've had that idea sitting on the shelf, then yes, come to us. All right, awesome. Thank you. Um, I hope that was helpful for the listeners to get some more insight. If not, I guarantee there's places that we'll share with you here where you can learn more about Mission Entrepreneur. Uh, let's continue here with the conversation, Jan, about high performance. And I know that you talked in and around this before um, in some of your work. Heck, it's probably what you're trying to do with the women that you're, that you're coaching and mentoring uh, through the entrepreneurship space. Um, and it's absolutely super clear to me that you've done it at a high level in your own life for a number of reasons. So I'm just curious, uh, high performance, it's almost like the word leadership. It's so confused, in my opinion, in this space. Like I always say leadership when I think people actually mean management, right? The word strategy sometimes comes up. What does strategy really mean? Someone tell it to me. I don't know, right? So uh, part of the show, High Performance Pathways, is to get a perspective on what does high performance mean from someone that I believe is performing at a high level. So would you maybe share with us some thoughts on what does it mean to you to be a high performer or how you might define that for someone or for yourself in your own life? Yeah, for myself, I think high performance basically means that I've biohacked every possible way to get the best out of myself. And that means physically um, through exercise and nutrition. Like I said, I'm a huge runner. If I'm not running, I'm doing something else. I do a lot of yoga. Um, I think those two are a phenomenal uh, combination if anybody hasn't figured that out yet. And I also think um, getting the best out of myself emotionally. This one's hard for military people. Um, You've got to be able to self-reflect. You've got to be able to be vulnerable with yourself in order to get better. Um, My husband and I have this conversation a lot because he's kind of one of those, you know, closed up people and it's not easy to be vulnerable. And then um, just what I talked about before about having that desire to always continue to keep learning and developing. Uh, I think high performance means that you never get there. You're never achieved it. You're always looking to get better. Uh, And then again, to back to the point of leadership, I think the trick there is to continue doing physical, emotional and um, development work and then to teach your team to do the same as a leader. So that to me is what, you know, the best I can do. I love it. Here's what I'm hearing uh, from Jen, folks, when she talks about and shares her perspectives on high performance. What does high performance mean to Jen? She says, it's for me, an ability to get the best out of me. And she has a couple lines of effort that she shared with us and how she does that. I have to get the best out of me physically. And she shared a couple ways she does that. I need to get the best out of me emotionally. I need to embrace, going back to this core value that she shared, the word that resonates with me is grow. It's humility. It's this idea that I might not ever get to the best of me physically or the best of me emotionally, but this is a line of effort. I have to have a mindset that continues to allow me to, and the word I hear is chasing. I love the word chasing. Mm -hmm. I used to have a boss that said, hey, this is a zero defect mission. And everyone would be so frustrated. Oh, man, zero defect. What a hard and high bar to set. And then if you could just substitute the word, we're chasing perfection. Not The expectation isn't perfection. We're chasing perfection. Sometimes it gives you some freedom. So I'm hearing that in Jen and her definition of high performance. He's chasing it and, and allow that to kind of fuel you. And the final line of effort I heard from her is that then you have to actually do. 
right, put it into an application. So thank you for sharing that perspective with us. Um, I'd love to hear some habits from you, Jen, that you might share with the folks. Right? You don't got to give out any trade secrets here, girlfriend. Right? <laughs> <laughs> habits, right? Because I think the people that tune into the show know a couple things are going to occur. One, they're going to meet someone incredible. They're going to hear a story and yours is that. But then they also want to know, well, what do you do? Like how? Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious. Um, and again, some of this is my positioning, right? And I said it before, athletes and military, because of those experiences, I think develop unique habits in their life that you don't get without those experiences. And so I'm curious, could you share with us some top habits that you continue to practice in your life that enable you to do just things at an incredible level in your work? This is, yeah, this is so fun for me to self-reflect on this stuff. Cause you know, we're all moving a million miles an hour every day. So to sit down and like actually hash through what, what do I do? But um, first and foremost, and easy to answer hands down, the best habit I've ever acquired is just moving my body every day. I I am a different person. I'm more focused. I'm more content. (laughs) I'm I'm more effective when I have either run or done yoga or moved in some form or fashion, lifted weights. So um, that one I learned, you know, way back in high school and never have quit. So I will be, I have a goal of being that 90 year old lady running, you know, Amen. So that one's number one, always. The second one is um, something, and I'll go back to remember when I was in Florida, the 22 year old new Lieutenant bright eyed and completely confused. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned in that moment um, to be a great listener, that being a great listener will always help me figure out my way, even when I don't know the answers. And that was where I learned it because I didn't know any technical knowledge about being these guys' boss. And they were like my, my dad's age. It was a super awkward position to be their boss and to be completely clueless. But I listened and I learned, and I also learned that being a great listener creates great teams. So Mm. I am always going to listen before I make decisions or judge or, you know, craft any strategy because I think you learn so much by opening your ears. Um, Another one is again, a military lesson. I think uh, check your ego at the door Um, in order to have the highest level of performance. It can't be about you. You know, I think if you're worried about egocentric things or what do I look like, or what does this mean for me? You won't see the other solutions out there. So that all goes back to my servant leadership you know, model for myself. But I think Mm -hmm. if you're checking your ego at the door, that humility gets you a long way. Um, I don't know if this is a habit, but this is definitely something that I strive for in every group I'm in is to build great culture. Um, Because I think people and the culture that you build, like I was mentioning with that cabin that we built, that was all because of our culture. There's no strategy I could have planned out that would have caused that by anybody's numbers, it was because we had this amazing relationship with each other. And I always um, say that culture will beat strategy every time. So, and then lastly, um, and I've mentioned this before, but just never stop serving the least of these. Um, My husband's really great. He keeps me really grounded (laughs) 
when we could fly first class, you know, places or whatever, some of those niceties that we've sort of gotten ourselves to financially, he reminds me that, you know, an airman doesn't even make this much in a year. We're not going to fly in those seats. So um, just keeping that, that service mindset of like going back to who needs this most, um, we can give that away and sit in the, you know, with everybody else. So I would say that those are kind of things that I'm always reminding myself on a daily basis. Mm. Beautiful. High performance habits that have enabled Jen to do things at an incredibly high level in her life. Number one, move your body, y'all. Love it. Um, number two, be a great listener. Number three, check your ego at the door. Number four, build great culture. And number five, never stop serving the least of those among us. Wonderful habits. I love them. I would say yes, in my experience <laughs> to these. Um, I think a lot of people can understand most of these. I think the one that might be the most challenging or there might be additional curiosity is how the heck do you do number four well? What does it mean to build, create culture, right? And I'll just share a thought. You know, I think it goes back to the four words that Jen used that I asked her about, um, live, give, grow, and serve, right? And I'm mm -hmm. guessing that if you surround yourself with men and women and people that can do that, I mean, that's culture, right? People think that's, I mean, what is culture? How do we do culture? Culture is really simple, folks. Name the core values that are important to you define them and then assess people to come into your tribe that see the world the same way and eliminate people, toxicities, poison into your tribe that don't see things the same way because we're not all going to see the world the same way. Yeah. But, and I think, I think it's also building around those, you know, building fun around those concepts and, and values. So, you know, if um, serve, which on team give, we, we highly value, you know, serving like the cabins, but we have a lot of fun with it. We'll sell a t-shirt, you know, with a, something fun to do with, um, like we have one that says serve, give love. And then we give away all the profits from the t-shirts to whatever the current thing is that we're raising money for, but we have fun with it. That's culture. Like make it anything you would want to do anyways, build it around your core values and make it fun. And that's when great cultures thrive, I think. I love it. You need to add fun, girlfriend, to your fifth value. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, maybe it just is, is, a, is a thread you pull throughout all of them. Yes, but you're right. It's all of them. You know, absolutely. And sometimes people forget about that, right? And sometimes I'm not as aware of it, right? But I have talked to people just like you, Jen, that we talk about, well, you know, what are one of those habits for me for high performance? I say, Court, I just have fun. And I'm going to encourage you to if you, you have fun, because if you're having fun, guess what? You're going to perform at a high level. You're yeah. going to be very fulfilled with what you do. And you're going to be deeply engaged with whatever activity that you're engaged with, which those are all components to a great culture. Yep. So, and happiness matters to high performance. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's talk about management now. And, you know, I, I differentiate specifically the word leadership and management. Um, and I won't jump off the deep end right here now with you. Um, but they're very different in my mind. And so um, I would love for you to share some thoughts, Jen, about, you know, I mean, shoot, you've managed people. 
up to 250 at your time in uniform. You had that mm-hmm. group when you first hit the ground and then you've got nine, a team of 9,000 now. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a managerial approach that you use. And because of the managerial approach, well, how do we operationalize that with things that we do? We, we, we turn to habits. So what might be some habits that you practice as a manager of others or maybe habits that you've seen in incredible people that have managed you that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, it's kind of cool the way I am now because I have this team of 9,000 where I am using a lot of leadership skills, but I also am within the corporate structure. I'm not in the corporate structure, but I co-work with a lot of the the corporate team at Rodana Field. So I'm seeing both management and leadership in action all the time. And I think my top three here are um, transparency for for managers or for anybody managing people is vital to build trust, which then equals high performance. Um, I've worked in systems where people know my kid's name or I know their kid's name. Um, You know, we know things about each other. We interact on the regular and that really, um, and and to, to my point earlier about vulnerability, I'm vulnerable with them or they're vulnerable with me and we can build that trust. When you put up the wall as the manager and you sit in your high tower um, and you don't take down the walls of vulnerability to get to know people, to level with them, um, that's when it doesn't work anymore. So um, I've seen amazing things happen in that transparent environment where you can build the trust and then you can get the teams to high performance. And I've also seen it the opposite. So transparency is really important. If you can't be transparent, you're probably not doing something right anyways. So um, let your people in to know how it works. The second one, and this I'm learning in multiple ways. You got to hire people that have a life vision or maybe those core values that overlap with your business vision, because then you're going to match up. And like you said, um, I, I can't remember what term you use, but basically then you match up and you've got synergy and we are all moving in the same direction to make them personally happy as well as your business goals come to life. So really think deeply about um, who you hire, who you bring on your team and make sure they align with where you wanna go. And then always the third one, always think through the lens of people before you think through the lens of the, uh, the numbers or the um, performance indicators. I think a lot of managers forget this. Like you can't achieve numbers usually without the people behind it. So always apply the people lens before you apply the performance lens. And I think that changes the way you see things. If you put the numbers before the people, you'll act differently. So transparency, hire the right people and think about people before numbers. Beautiful. Mic drop. I got nothing else. You did a great job (laughs) of summarizing it. Thank you so much for those three habits of high-performing managers. Um, I think I got two more questions for you before we let you roll and get back to your day. Um, the last one is about the collective, right? I, I hope that what I've done for you, the listener, in this kind of final portion of this conversation with Jen is, you know, consider Jen's thoughts on high performance and then how she applies that to her life. Now think about how managers, you know, being defined by me as the supervision of you know, projects, people, or tasks to accomplish a mission where leadership for me is defined simply as effective positive influence, right? Meaning that you can be the junior person on Team Give and been with Jen for three months and be a significant leader because you're an mm-hmm. effective positive influence upon 
team give. Doesn't mean you have anyone reporting to you, right? Or have great responsibility, i.e. management in my mind. And so, and now I'm curious as we walk this full circle is the collective team. Jen's been on teams since a young girl, you know, playing volleyball, playing golf, playing softball, and all the way to today, a team of 9,000. So Jen, I'm curious, what are some of the foundational habits of incredible teams? Yeah, these are, just answering this question fires me up because it gets me thinking. And the first one is um, high-performing teams have shared belief. And as the leader of a team, you have to constantly be breathing that belief into the people before they might even believe it themselves. And you can really never, in my opinion, over-communicate the vision for your team or for your group. So constantly be breathing into them, telling them that they can do it before they can, and then reminding them, where are we headed? What are we doing? <laughs> you know, if you have this belief, what are we going to do with it? I think that um, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a business team, um, whether it's a family, that shared belief is really, really important and to communicate all the time. Um, secondly, and this again goes back to parenting and, um, and business, failure is essential. I think I was really afraid of failure in my younger years coming out of the Air Force Academy. Like I didn't want to screw it up. I didn't want to, you know, not do it right. But especially through business, I've learned that failure is essential. You're not going anywhere unless you're failing and learning from it. So I tell my kids all the time, we don't lose. We either learn, you know, we, we fail and we, or we learn, or what do I say? We fail and learn. Um, so encourage, whether it's your teammates or your family members to fail and learn through it and grow through it. There's a really great story. I wrote about it in my book um, about this group called Girls Who Code. And these teachers were talking about um, when they would have little boys in their classroom or younger uh, boys in their coding classrooms, the boys, when they couldn't figure something out, would raise their hand and, and ask the teacher over. And then the teacher would see what they did wrong and sort of show them their errors. And when the girls would raise their hand, the teacher would come over and 99% of the time they had a blank screen. And so these teachers would ask, like, are you even trying? Like, what did you do? And if they hit the back button a couple times, they would see that these girls erased what they wrote because they didn't want it to be wrong. Mm. And that story just hit me like a ton of bricks. That's why I do what I do because we got to encourage our little girls to fail and to learn and to give us um, what, you know, give us the messy and learn through it so that we can make it better, but don't give up. And I think um, it's just essential that you teach failure is important to life. So my kids hear that all the time. And then lastly, um, and this I've learned again through lots of different types of teams is that typically as the leader of a team, your team's only going to do a fraction of what you do. So you have to be personally committed to all those things I talked about, the high performance um, factors, whether it's exercising or, you know, staying humble or all those things, because you're going to have to always be leading from the front and they're going to follow you. You can't expect more of them than you're willing to do yourself. So those three things I think are key to high performance teams. Beautiful. Uh, just walking it back, I think what I'm hearing from you is the collective teams that you've been a part of or the ones in which you've watched do things at a really high level. Number one, have a leader that sets an example for others to emulate. Number two, they embrace failure as part of the process. And number one, they have a shared belief 
and that is continually breathed into one another. Mm-hmm. How's that sound? That's perfect. Do a good job. Awesome. All right. Hey, last question, Jen. What is next for you this year? We're laying this show down, folks, in January, the last week of January 2021. So the whole year is ahead of Jen. You can answer this however you want, as a mom, as a daughter, as an incredible inspiration for women. But anything that you'd like to share that's next for you or on the horizon? Yes. So I said that I'm constantly learning and growing and pushing myself outside my comfort zone. So my word for the year, which I don't always do this, but this year, my word is bold. And it's because I'm pushing into a completely new category for myself and my mission entrepreneur team, because we are launching a game changing web app product in March, and it's called Boss Lady Bio. And it is available for men. It just happens to be branded for women. But it is um, a way of quickly transforming the link in your Instagram bio or your LinkedIn bio into a mini website that includes video and it can highlight your products in there or your resources or your testimonials from clients. And um, it's just a really cool way to introduce yourself with um, video that'll make you stand out from every other bio link. And right now bio links are pretty stagnant. You know, they have a bunch of links, but there's not much else going on. So we're really excited to launch that and see it take off. So if anybody out there really wants to um, get to know more, I'm happy to hand walk you through what that's gonna look like because we are gonna have some influencers um, putting it out there for us. So I'm really excited about what Boss Lady Bio is gonna do. Mm, Love it, I'm excited for you. If someone is inspired by this conversation, how and what is the best way to connect with you, Jen? Yes, you can find us mostly on Instagram. So um, we've got our two handles. I'm Jen Grizz, J-E-N-G-R-I-Z at Instagram, or you can find us at Mission Entrepreneur, MSN Entrepreneur, um, spelled just the way you read it. That's at Instagram. You can also find me, Jen Griswold, at LinkedIn, or you can find our website spelled out, missionentrepreneur.com. Beautiful. And for folks that typically consume this show because you're on mile three of your run around (laughs) DC like Jen, right? Or you're, I don't know, people aren't commuting as much anymore, but you're probably multitasking, right? You're not just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. I will have all of these websites hung in the body of this podcast show when it's published. So don't worry, y'all, if you didn't get it in that moment, you ain't got to rewind it. You ain't got to play it back. Just look at the uh, comment section of the show. That's a wrap, Jen. Um, Thank you so much for being present with us and gifting the listeners your thoughts, your perspective, because I think it matters. Um, So what I'd love to do is just invite you to break us out and into our day with some incredible energy as we do with every episode here on High Performance Pathways, and that is with the High Performance Breakdown. And here's how it works. And this is a return to the football huddle for me, right? It's like, hey, let's break out, go score a touchdown. I want you guys and girls, as you leave the show, to break out of here and go score a touchdown. And whatever meaning that means for you, right? Even if you don't even play sports, touchdown means get it done. It means win, whatever is necessary, right? That's what me and Jen's hope is, that you're walking away from this show with some inspiration inside you to do it. Um, what I'm going to say, Jen, is hey, break down on three, then I'll count the words one, two, three. When you hear the word three from me, that's your invitation to give us three claps, followed by the spoken words, 
boom shakalaka, right? I love it, yes. And, and then you can close out the show with any last minute thoughts that you might be inspired to share, although none are required. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm ready. All right. So, hey, breaking us out here on this episode of season three of High Performance Pathways, my friend, incredible woman, mover, shaker, entrepreneur, author, Jen Griswold. Jen, breakdown on three. One, two, three. Boom shakalaka. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I think I would just challenge this group. I know this is a lot of um, high performing guys and probably a few good girls, but I would challenge you to think about the women in your life and how you are empowering them. Because I really do believe that the next generation of entrepreneurs is going to be women. You have daughters, you have wives, you have, you know, other women that you value in your life, and they are going to stand on this generation's shoulders to be the Mark Zuckerbergs of the future. Um, And I'm really excited about what that means for all of us. So just challenge you to encourage them. Um, If you hear somebody that has a business idea, if you hear somebody, you know, him and ha about that idea they put on the shelf many, many years ago, or that passion they put on the shelf any, many years ago, encourage them to go seek out a business that's going to empower them, help them take control and not be a victim to all the things that bring us down in life. So, and I'm here to help. I'm always happy to welcome them and help them begin their journey. So thanks Court for having me on. Yeah. Wonderful to have you. I'm just inspired in this moment to, to give a shout out to my daughter, Charlotte Whitman. Someday she'll listen to the show. I guarantee it. You're incredible, baby. You've been a gift to my life um, and have definitely reframed my thoughts about uh, what women can do. So if you don't have a daughter yet, y'all, my gift, my dream for you is that it happens at some point. And if you're a dude out there, um, we only exist in this incredible space <laughs> with women, right? So go out there and, and be great alongside and in some cases with them leading you. Now, folks, hey, get out there. This is my challenge too. Um, listen and allow this stuff that Jen shared to sink in and uh, help fuel you in your life to chase high performance. Be well, and we'll see you again next week. Later. Thanks.